0: Uh, but I, I I'm I need to get into what where we are today in First John First John chapter two because this is one of my uh, favorite passages of Scripture just to be able to to teach and I think it's vitally important but I need to before we get to the 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 big part verse twelve through14, I need to get a run and start and start at the beginning of the chapter. But let me remind you what I told you last week, in first John, for those of you that you weren't here, or didn't get to listen to it, that there's false prophets that are teaching in the land, and they're teaching some pretty corrupt stuff. And here's some of the stuff that they're teaching. It was what we would label as gnostic, but they believe that the material world of matter is evil. And therefore, if the material matter is evil, then there's no way that Jesus, who's the Son of God, could have actually been here. It just seemed like he was here. Like it really wasn't, because if matter is evil, then Jesus couldn't be here. And so he came in spirit, and even though he was touchable, it only seemed like it. And then... They actually taught that Jesus was not the Son of God. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. And therefore, when John, in chapter 1, he he literally referred to them as antichrist, that they were against Christ. And since sin is part of this material world, sin does not exist for the Christian. Once you're a Christian, so therefore, uh, the Christians could do whatever they wanted to do. It's kind of a messed up, whatever you want to call it, theology or philosophy. But they felt like these false prophets had special insight from God and the Spirit to see deeper truths. And they were just sowing this amongst the land. And John's trying to clarify what the actual truth is. What the actual truth is. And so they broke fellowship with the believers, those that believed in Jesus Christ. And their teaching was, was really kind of seductive. It was seduced the people into believing what they believed. And so now uh, John is trying to convince them of the truth. And then I ask you a question. Um, I'm going to jump into the subject of forgiveness. Forgiveness, and you know what we teach here at Pinheads about forgiveness. Christ died once and died for all your sins. Let me ask you a question, uh, and you don't have to answer it, but just think about it. What percentage of the church, and when I say the church, I'm talking about those who are believers in Jesus Christ, actually understand forgiveness? Like, you have denominational churches and things like that, and you all know that there's confession and uh, just the constant asking of forgiveness and things like that. What 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 percentage of the church truly understands forgiveness? Anybody want to take a public stand at that? What percentage? What? I heard what? 30? 30%? 10%? Whoa. 2%? Matt comes in at 1%. <laughs> That's rounding up, he says. <laughs> he comes, he, yeah, the price is right, uh, high or low. Uh, th- that comes from a man who comes from a Catholic upbringing. And so you, you, you have a different background than some others. But honestly, you know, I come from a Southern Baptist background, and it, it, it's not much different. We were still taught to ask for forgiveness. Um, but this morning, I, I, I want to show you something that maybe you haven't ever seen before if you're new in this room. Well, watch this. Yeah, you see all these logos that um appear the, the this first one right here is was one that I grew up. There seems like there was a membership when I was a kid. But uh Baskin Robbins, how many flavors do they have? 31. Why do you know that? Because it says it right there. Does anybody see the 31? Did you? How many did not see that until just right now? Yeah, 31 Flavors has been there the whole time in their logo. What about uh, this one, uh, Toberlone? Uh, it's what? What is this? Swiss Chocolate. And so you see the Swiss Alps, but how many of you see the bear? Yeah, the side on the, the bear. Um, this is a good one. What? Somebody's saying it. A to Z. We have everything from A to Z. How many times you see Amazon every day and you've never seen this before? Uh, here's one you don't see every day, but the, the Bronx Zoo. It's easy to see the giraffes and the birds and the birds, but look at the skyline and the legs of the giraffe. And here's one that you see every day. I was literally sitting at an Indiana Pacer game one day. I think it was Rhonda Cooper. is like, did you ever see the arrow in FedEx? And I'm like, what are you talking about? How many of you don't see the arrow right now? I'm going to show you something that you've never seen before. Look at that. There has been an arrow there the whole time. The whole time. Now, here's the crazy thing. Now that you've seen these things, you you, you will not uh, unsee them. Every time you see a FedEx truck, you're going to go straight to the arrow. You're going to look right at the arrow, and it's going to be so obvious. And here's the crazy thing is, is you're going to, like, tell everybody, do you see the arrow? Do you see the arrow? I believe that about the forgiveness. If you can see what we're teaching, what, what John says in the Scripture, what you see, man, you will, you will talk about this. No one taught me this in First Baptist Church Tulsa where I grew up or Oklahoma Baptist University or the seminary that I went to. It wasn't until I was 36 years old until I saw the arrow, until I saw what forgiveness was. It was Keith Tyner. We were uh, playing racquetball at the church, and he says, do you live in a state of forgiveness? I mean, I asked for forgiveness. No, do you live in a state of forgiveness? And that's how our discussion started. And it lasted uh, a good nine months to a year. It took me that long to see it. it. took me that long. Because all that I had learned all my life and been taught and trying, trying to uh, have a conversation with him in the scripture I I didn't win. I didn't win. I didn't see it. I saw what he saw. So John says this. He says, my little children. (laughs) He goes from addressing the general group in chapter one, which has got Gnostics in the audience. It's got Christians in the audience. People always ask, well, who did John write this letter to? Who did he write it to? And uh, people will say, well, he wrote it to the Gnostics. Well, He may have written it to the Gnostics, but he also wrote it to the Christians because he says, my little children. He's specifically addressing Christians right here. And he's saying this. I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a counselor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now this is... This passage of scripture is in contrast to last week's where we talked about 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's literally saying to the Gnostics in the room, you just have to admit that you're a sinner. (laughs) Like They believe that they weren't sinning because the matter of the world is evil and therefore we don't sin. And he's saying, just confess. But right here, now he's saying, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. John fourteen sixteen says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Like, when he says that, to the disciples in John 14. This is right before he goes to the cross. He's trying to comfort them. They're freaking out because their friend, their savior, their they don't really understand it is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's like, "You guys, I'm going to there's there's someone else coming." Who who they didn't know that a spirit was going to take up residence inside of them. If that if only 1%, 10%, 30% they don't realize that there's a holy God living inside of them. Like an advocate, a counselor, he's right here. I don't have to go to confession. He's right here with me. He, they sent this counselor. It says, verse 2, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In some of your translations it says propitiation. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. The word propitiation has to do with the removal of a divine wrath, like the wrath that comes from God. And he literally takes that away from those who are the believers. Like if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for your sins, you will not experience God's wrath. Because he's removed that the sacrifice of christ is the propitiation for our sins he literally died on the cross and when his blood was poured out because the blood represents life when the blood was poured out it brought forgiveness of sins now that's in contrast to the old testament concept of atonement which was basically just was merely just covering sin You realize that the Jews went back to the temple in Jerusalem every year, Day of Atonement, and they made a sacrifice. Blood of the bulls and goats was like poured out for the priest and for the people, and it covered. It didn't take away, it didn't remove, it didn't forgive. Just it was atonement. It was covered. And then they would like walk back home and stumble and cuss and start the whole process over again just like kept repeating and repeating and repeating. But Jesus, he himself was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the only sacrifice that actually could completely satisfy God. Why? Because he came here on earth as in human flesh incarnate, and he walked this earth, and he had the ability to sin, but he never did. He was tempted, just like you and I are, just just like you and I are. He was tempted he had he had crazy thoughts because the evil one would put him there, yet he never acted on him, and he was perfect in his behavior and that's what caused him to be the only sacrifice that could completely satisfy God that means that means when he came. That the Old Testament sacrifices were null and void. They weren't necessary anymore. What the blood of Jesus could do, that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do. And his perfect sacrifice has arrived, and now we are totally cleansed. It says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I did that when I was eight years old. I did it. Jesus' death is the mean that turns God's wrath from the sinner. I'm no longer a sinner, I'm a saint. I've been made righteous, I've been made holy because of what Christ did on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. That would be Jesus. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. I I don't say that arrogantly. I say that very humbly. But I'm the righteousness of God and what I'm looking at is the righteousness of God. I'm looking at the righteousness of God. I see it. I see it. What the, another verse that, you know, confirms what he's saying right here is this is that he, but also for those of the whole world, you go to John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He literally died for all the sin. This is not a reference to universalism right here. This is literally saying God died for all sin. You just have to believe. It's referring to the total scope of Christ's work for the sins for the entire world. He there's there's literally nothing that you can do that his blood couldn't cover. Except for unbelief. Not believing. That's it. He died for everything else. The blood of Christ is sufficient to take away the sins of all who believe in him. Verse three it says this This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. <laughs> this was the okay now you got to do this thing uh if we know him then we got to keep his commands no if i know him he's going to talk to me and we're going to have a relationship and i'm going to do things out of my want to and my desires because he's put this new heart in me and caused me to think differently than i did in the past he he's not speaking of the old covenant law that I've got to keep those commandments he's literally saying there's a there's a counselor a spirit that lives inside of you and he's going to talk to you and he's going to teach you and you're going to know what you should be doing all you have to do is like listen to him and he's also speaking about these new commandments Well, what do you mean there's new commandments believe in Jesus and love one another that's basically it (laughs) believe in Jesus and love one another that's the new commandment. This is because as believers, we, we abide and live with God and he teaches us that. That's the byproduct. Loving is the byproduct of my relationship with God. It says in verse four, the one who says I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in, in him. That would be, he's referring to the Gnostics, the false teachers, those that are trying to like deceive them, deceive the church. He says, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Well, how did Jesus walk? (laughs) He walked by the Spirit. Oh, so how should you walk? Oh, you should probably walk by the Spirit. If we're to walk like he walked, he walked by the Spirit. Every day he like hey, you, you guys watch the chosen and you, you see uh the miracles that Jesus does. And I, I I think that they portray it like Jesus doesn't even know what miracles are coming, and when he does, he's kinda like, Oh wow, see what God did? Because he's walking by the Spirit. This is what the Spirit led him to do. It says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John's addressing this universal principle of love present through the scriptures. It's actually present in the Old Testament. God has always been about love. In John thirteen thirty four, this is what Jesus says. I give you a new command. I give you a new command. You got the Ten Commandments and all that, but I'm going to give you a new one. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you just love one another. So it's believing God and love others. That's it. In the Old Covenant, loving God and others fulfilled the law. It fulfilled the law. But in the New Covenant, the command is, really knowing the love of Jesus and then allowing it to be transmitted to other people. It's a reflection. Verse 9, it says, the one who says he's in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. This is not speaking of loving people without boundaries. All right? I, I'm supposed to love those who don't know Jesus. Because honestly, how else are they going to know Jesus? It's not through condemnation. It's not through violence. It's not through words, mean words. It's literally a reflection of God's love. It's not It's not being a doormat. It's not being a doormat. There are boundaries to keep yourself safe. Rather, it's loving those who are in Christ by affirming that they are in Christ as well. I'm, it, it's just recognizing people for who they are. Like I, I could sit here and look at you for all the things that you do, work-wise, sin-wise, social-wise. I, 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 could, I could look at you that, or I can look at you like, oh, they're holy, they're redeemed, they're forgiven, they're perfect. And when you do that, it's a lot easier to love you. (laughs) It just is. Verse 10, it says, The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light. there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's literally talking about those who believe in Jesus and those who don't believe in Jesus. That's it. Light, dark. You can see it, you can't see it. And here we go. Verse 12. I'm writing to you little children since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. John is literally reminding Christians that the sins have been forgiven once for all. And that's in total contrast again to 1 John 1, 9, which was an invitation for unbelievers to recognize that they're sinners and that they need to be forgiven of their sins by believing. Verse 13 says, I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you children because you have come to know the father. I have written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you. And you have conquered the evil one. Now he repeated himself twice. Because it's important. If you go back, if you go back to our Leavener app and go back to April 30th when we were talking about Hebrews and we were talking about a physical and a spiritual rest, we laid all this out. I can, I I encourage you to go back and look, but we talked about a redemptive rest, a Canaan rest, and a Sabbath rest. Those three things, they were like three different levels of rest. And it's kind of what we're getting into here in these passages of Scripture, 12, 13, and 14, where he's talking about, I write to you children, I write to you young men, and I write to you fathers. Three different age groups, right? Three different levels of maturity. So let me just stop at the children. (laughs) If we're at 1%, (laughs) Let's stop at the children. 1% understand forgiveness. I'm writing to you little children since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And again, he says, little children, he's referring to all believers. I am a child of God. He's not talking about age here. He's referring to spiritual maturity. Those who are young those who are young in their faith. All Christians have been born in God's family through faith in Jesus Christ and their sins have been forgiven. Have been forgiven. It's in the scripture that's perfect tense. The English majors in here will tell you the past perfect tense is a verb from the action that was complete before present time. It shows that the action is perfect 100%, which means It's finished. It's over. The forgiveness really occurs because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. I, I can't make this any simpler for you. This whole forgiveness, when Keith asked, do you live in a state of forgiveness? It's, the whole sphere wherein we move and as a benefit, there's freedom. Like, when I when I used to sin, I still sin, but when I used to sin, I was taught that I need to remember that because I gotta pray and ask for forgiveness later. And it would just like, it would beat you down. I sin now. And when I sin now, I understand my identity in Christ. And because I sin now, it doesn't line up with my heart, who I am. Like, he made me a new creation. He made me righteous. He made me holy. I sin. And i like, it doesn't sit well with me. I still sin. I still sin, I, still, I admit to you I sin and it doesn't line up with who I am and all I remember is God saying to me, Rusty, I redeemed you I forgave you, I made you holy get your head up, keep walking, keep walking and move on it took me a long time to get to that point because I was so trained and ingrained in the other way of thinking, the whole confession and forgiveness and everything else. And many will teach, many will teach uh, forgiveness as a gift that we can't take for granted, and I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And, there, and therefore, there's this act of humbleness and pure desire not to abuse this gift that God has given us because literally when i say that in this room you can do whatever you want i truly mean that but i'm trusting that god has given you a new heart and a new way of thinking it's not a it's not on me like yeah you come here and hang out at pinheads and people associate you with levner or whatever but uh i could care less honestly because when you blow it, when you blow it, then I get all worked up i If I trust what God's doing in you, man, it's going to be awesome. There's people that will give public testimony about this group of people right here and the incredible things that they do in this community and It's just because we're we're trusting god it, it, It's like this endless water fountain that just happens i I don't know. I don't understand it. It just happens. So at one point in my life, I began to see God's forgiveness differently. It was like the Baskin-Robbins and the Amazon thing and the FedEx thing. It's just like all of a sudden the the light came on. And I've seen it in many of you in this room right here. It is inevitable that I was and I'm going to sin. First John one ten that we said last week, it says if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But I understand that I'm forgiven. That he's he's done everything he possibly can for me to be a clean slate. And when he says he did it for the whole world, you, you look at this this one slide of like it's from Adam, Show, show that one slide. I think it's in there. There we go. Look, from Adam in the garden, chapter 3 of Genesis, all the way to who knows when, Christ has died in the middle and he's like covered every sin, past, present, and future. He says on the cross, it's finished. He's not getting back up there again it's over. It's a done deal. Everything that you've done in the past, everything you're currently doing and everything you're going to do, Jesus has taken care of on the cross. One time. One time. Not again. It was good enough even for your worst day. Every night I was taught to put Jesus back up on the cross. Oh, I get it. I know what you're thinking. How can you just dare teach this freedom because people are going to go off the rails. And they have. In In this very group, they have. Watch it. It's hard. Pray for them. Love them. It's through God's kindness that leads them to repentance not through condemnation. Therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus, there's now no condemnation. Gosh, you're you're teaching a lot of freedom, a lot of liberty there. Yeah, because God's grace is that good. Hey, call me, you know, easy on sin, whatever it is, but uh, Jesus dying on the cross was not easy. I just believe it with all my heart. I mean, you just go back. This is the way it works. God created this perfect world and a perfect couple. And then Genesis 3 happened and sin entered into this world and everything began to die. It never was the way God intended it to. We've got death all throughout this room and people that grieve because they've lost loved ones. And that was never, ever intended for us we were supposed to have eternal life from that very moment and everything was supposed to be perfect but now sin's entered into the world and Genesis 3 315 is really our first understanding I'm not going into that whole thing but it's our first understanding in the scripture that there's a messiah that's coming to save us and throughout the whole old covenant it is proven that we can't save ourselves that whole old testament is like them trying to live under the law, it not working, the Day of Atonement happening every year, going back and covering sins and just keep repeating and repeating and repeating. And then what about the fact that Romans five twenty says this, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Oh, why did we forget that verse growing up? That literally... God gave Adam and Eve this choice in the garden and they chose wrong. They chose themselves over God. And then he comes along and he gives them the Ten Commandments. He says, well, you couldn't do the one choice. So here's Ten Commandments. Try to live by these Ten Commandments. And then you get into Leviticus and he gives you 613 more laws. They failed at that. Then Jesus, Jesus the Jew who came along to teach the law in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 gives a Sermon on the Mount. It's red letters people, it's red letters. Do this, do this, do this, do this. He gave more law because he was under the law at that point. You try to do Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You're going to fail at that too. It's like they just kept raising the bar and raising the bar and raising the bar and raising the bar and then the lawyer comes along at the, on the road and he's like, I've obeyed the law all my life. (laughs) Yeah, sure. He's like, what what do I have to do to get to heaven? Jesus looks at him and says, go sell everything you've got and come follow me. He didn't. Couldn't do it. And Jesus goes to the cross, and he's like, okay, we've showed you all throughout here, you can't do this. I'll do it for you. I'm going to die for you. And then I'm going to send a counselor, a spirit that's going to live inside of you. And and, and you're still not going to be able to do it. You just let him do it. Let him live your life for you. Let him breathe for you. Let him talk for you. Let, Let him listen for you. Let him do all this. Let him love for you. How do you love the unlovable? Well, you don't. You let the spirit of God inside of you do it. Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 14 says this. We're going to wrap up. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time. That's the whole old covenant thing in the day of atonement. It can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. It's over. It's finished. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering... He has perfected forever those who are sanctified. You're sanctified, you're perfected forever. (laughs) I'm just reading the Bible. That's all I'm doing. This isn't my opinion, it's what it says. I'm writing to you little children the first level of spiritual maturity since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. It's the simplest of things of our faith that are necessary to understand so we begin to mature into sound, blameless followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I asked you a question at the beginning of this message. I ask you again, based upon what we just read out of the scripture, what percentage of the church understands forgiveness based upon what you just heard? I'm leaning more to that side of the room right now. Because that isn't what I was taught in the church. The church, the little c, wants to identify uh, the sinners. So, uh, let's do that, right? You guys turned in all your sins, and so now, uh, they wrote all the sins on these name tags. So, if we're to identify as sinners, let's get specific, right? Why do we just say we're sinners, let's, let's literally just name our sins. So, I'm going to start reading these off, and you come up and get them. I'm going to start right here with Luke. <laughs> How many of these do you want? <laughs> so not true. So not true. Literally, if if we're to if we say that we're sinners, let's just say this is us, and you wear this name tag. You want that? You want that? Because that is not who we are. We are absolutely. Righteous and forgiven and perfect and holy. I want you to see a display of who you are. I've got real name tags for you of who you are. I'm going to play a song and I'm going to ask you to get up and you make your way to the bar and you grab your name tag. On your mark. Get set, go. It's the simplest thing we've got in the Scripture: is forgiveness. It was an absolute joy to watch you walk away from the bar smiling. When you grab, like Chris comes over, look what I got. <laughs> what does it say, Chris? I'm a recipient of God's lavish grace. Amen, you are. It's, it, this is, I didn't make these up. This is out of the Bible. These are scriptures. These are scriptures that you have on you. This is what the Bible says about you. I am a saint, and sometimes I sin. I get it. But I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. Walk in a state of forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's the simplest thing. (laughs) You got to understand forgiveness. If you, Matt says all the time, if you don't understand the forgiveness thing, man, it's the bottom line. You come back next week, we talk to the young men. The young men, how to overcome the evil one. Don't miss it. Father, I pray... uh, pray for those that are hurting. I pray for those that are hearing this for the first time. The light switch may have just come on this morning. They may have seen the arrow for the first time. That's not my job. That's your job. To cause them to see that. So I trust you with that. But I do thank you for forgiveness. I do thank you for what you've done for us. I do thank you for all that you've blessed us with. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.